Today, answers matter more than ever before. That's why IBM is helping businesses manage customer questions with Watson Assistant. It's conversational AI designed to work for any industry. Let's put smart to work. Visit ibm.com slash Watson Assistant. This is The Sporting Life on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Here's Jeremy Schaap. This would have been the week of the Masters. This would have been the week when all eyes would have been on Tiger Woods trying to defend the title he miraculously won in 2019 after a decade of not winning majors, winning his 15th at the 2019 Masters. But of course, there is no Masters now. It has been scheduled for November. We welcome to the show somebody who's been covering the Masters for many, many decades. His new book is Seven Days in Augusta. Behind the scenes at the Masters, Mark Canizero, always a pleasure, sir, to have you on the show. Jeremy, it's good to be with you. How you doing? Hey, hanging in. Uh, you know, uh, managing, and, and I hope you're doing the same. Of course, you were planning um, to be in Georgia this week. Instead, you're you're at home in New Jersey. Um, you know, what was your reaction when you heard first that the Masters was being postponed, and then that it was being rescheduled for November? Well, I tell you, everything happened so fast, Jeremy. I was down at the Players' Championship in Jacksonville when, uh, you know, when they suddenly canceled the event after the first round. And, you know, the next thing I know, I'm taking, a, you know, the first flight back to New York. And and it just seems like it's been whirlwind since then. And, and this, you know, this entire crisis is, you know, is elevated by the minute, it seems like. So everything has changed in all of our worlds, and obviously the sports world and the golf world, you know, just came to a halt. And, uh the Masters was the first. It's really essentially as soon as the PGA Tour, um, you know, suspended its its you know right around the time the PGA Tour suspended its play, uh, the Masters was the first of the four majors to say, you know, we're gonna we're gonna take a pause and suspend. And you know, their their words were postponement, which at that time was you know felt uh, I don't want to say reassuring, but at least there was a sliver of positivity to it in that they weren't canceling it. Uh, so at that point, we just kind of waited to see how where the chips were going to fall. And uh, with Augusta, you, you really can't play during the summertime because it's just it's you know the, the heat is too oppressive in, in Augusta, Georgia, and you know essentially the club closes down from uh, from the end of end of May until the mid October. So the, the speculation immediately ran to having a Masters sometime late fall. Uh, so the only time it really made sense really was, you know, late October, early November. So, you know, obviously on, on Monday of this week, it, you know, they announced that it would be, you know, the week of November 9th. And, uh, you know, I think as long as we're on the other side of this, you know, this virus and we're able to, you know, conduct sporting events, it could be a magnificent event in November. It'll be fascinating, you know, for it to be in a different time slot. It'll be a little cooler. Uh, the scores maybe not be won't be as good because the winds will be up. But uh, you know, I think it's going to be fascinating to see it unfold. You know, if indeed it does, I think with all of the, the governing bodies of golf yesterday on Monday, you know, everybody kind of reset the schedule, and I think every one of them did it with fingers crossed. The Open Championship canceled, but the PGA, the U.S. Open, the Masters rescheduled for later in the year. We're speaking with Mark Canizero, the eminent golf writer whose new book is Seven Days in Augusta, behind the scenes at the Masters. It's a terrific book. And Mark, before we get to the specifics of the book, um, you know, how do you think golf is positioned um, to uh, to weather the coronavirus crisis? 
it's obviously a sport in which social distancing from the perspective of the athletes themselves can be practiced fairly easily. Well, what, what happens to golf now? Jeremy, I think of all of the professional sports, I think golf has the, the best chance to, to carry on because of that. It's not a contact sport. Um, you know, the players and, and the caddies and the, you know, the officials can all, you know, be a, a, a proper distance apart. I think what, what's interesting here with golf is I think golf is the one sport that I can see having, becoming a television only event with no, with no spectators, uh, easiest. Um, and, you know, obviously nobody wants to see that, but I think we're all so starved for sports right now. We'll take anything. I mean, at this point, you know, people are betting on video NBA games, right? So, you know, we all want live sports in some manner. and um, Table tennis in Russia. Yeah. yeah, so I think what's happened with golf now, and they have not announced anything. There's a lot of speculation. You know, the, the PGA Tour came out on Monday and said that they were, you know, they essentially were hoping to continue their schedule starting sometime in June. And that, to me, sounds really soon. Uh, I mean, I don't want to be a pessimist, but I can't imagine that we are going to be at a point in any of our major sports, Jeremy, where, where fans are going to be in arenas and on golf courses as soon as June. It just that would just shock me. I mean, these dates we're hearing are really they're really just moving moving targets. I mean, none none of it can possibly be set in stone now. No, no nothing's set in stone, and this thing's fluid every day. But uh, but I think with regard to your question about the golf, I think the golf can take place as a television event without spectators much easier much more manageably, I should say, probably, than any other sport, because it's not a contact sport. Um, you know, if you're watching television, you know, you're, unless you're watching the Masters, and even then, you can't really hear the roars. You know, if you're at Augusta, the roars are, you know, as you know from being down there, you know, the roars are much the fabric of the entire tournament there. But on television, you know, it's not like watching an NCAA tournament basketball game or something like that or, or, the, or an NFL game where, the, you know, you could feel the vibe of the fans, you know, through the television set. Golf is not necessarily like that. Golf is a kind of a quiet watch, if you will. So um, I think that golf can absolutely survive without fans, you know, in, in, in you know on its courses. And I think that's in that way, I think it probably is going to get going, you know, maybe in June, and it will take place without spectators. For how long that takes place, I don't know. It's interesting, Jeremy. I, you know, I was, I was listening to Andy North, you know, our good friend and colleague, and uh, on, on, on Scott Van Pelt's uh, show last night, and he said he, his, his sentiment was that a golf tournament should not take place if there can't be fans there, if you can't just conduct it normally. And I love Andy to death, but I completely disagree with him. I think we are so starved for sports, live sports, I think any golf fan would sign up right this second to watch golf with no spectators on the golf course. And uh, if that's the way it has to be for however long it has to be, you know, we'll all sign up for it. We're speaking with Mark Canizero, who writes about golf and other things for the New York Post and has done so for decades. His new book is Seven Days in Augusta, Seven Days in Augusta Behind the Scenes at the Masters. Uh, and Mark, um, what about golf other in other parts of the world? Um, you know, we, we've seen, you know, th there are other parts of the world where the shutdown on the sports landscape, uh, was delayed longer than it was here. There are other places, presumably, where it will be up and running sooner. Um, what do we know about how the other tours around the world feel about 
uh, resuming play at this point? Well, you know, for starters, obviously, as, as we referenced, the British Open uh, canceled um, on Monday. Um, so, you know, that's a worldwide international event, uh, although at this point, you know, the, the, the entire PGA Tour is, is a world tour to, to a large degree. But, um, you know, it's it's different everywhere. Even in the metropolitan area here where we both live, Jeremy, it's different. I mean, there are uh, many golf courses that are open. I'm not, I'm not talking about you know professional golf, but golf courses. People are playing golf in Westchester County, and you know the New York State public court co- co- courses are open. Uh, the New York State park courses. Beth Page is open. Are they really? I, I I don't think I knew that. Yet I'm in New Jersey, and there's not a single course open in New Jersey. Oh, so they're all they're all closed in Jersey, but many of them are open. In New York, yeah, it's just so you know, and there, from what I'm hearing, there are some open in Connecticut, but but so it really is a very uh, it varies everywhere, and uh, um, you know, I, I I don't know what's going on all around the world, uh, but I do know that you know most most anything that has to do with any professional golf is in a pause right now until further notice. Uh, I do want to talk about your book as well, though. We had a conversation about your book a number of weeks ago that we were planning to air this week to coincide with the Masters. Of course, uh, we scrapped that because the whole world has changed in the time since we last spoke. Um, but when you think about what makes the Masters um, special, what are the first things that come to mind? Well, the first things really, and the things that I'm missing desperately right now, as we as we sit here and speak, uh, I would have flown down there by Sunday night and begun writing on Monday, and I'd be in full fledged, you know, uh, column writing mode down there right now. And and to me, the most special thing about it is the tradition that takes place down there. There's, and you know, I talked about it a lot in the book. There's. There's, it's the one major championship that's played in the same place every year, Jeremy, as you know. And, and you know, there's just certain things that take place. In fact, I construct a book that way to some degree. The seven days were basically began yesterday, Monday, and go right through Sunday, which is the final round. And, you know, tonight, for example, the Tuesday night, as we're speaking, uh, is, is, the, is the annual champions dinner where, you know, all the past champions – Get together and the and the previous year's champion hosts the dinner and 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 decides on the menu and whatnot. Uh, you know, Wednesday is the par three tournament, uh, par three contest, which is just a special kind of sidelight that creates a lot of memories there. Uh, you know, Thursday morning, leading into the, the opening round, is the the ceremonial first tee shot, and they all you know several of the old timers come out and. And, and kind of get the you know kick the tournament off so to speak. When I first started covering the tournament, it was Sam Snead and Byron Nelson and, and Gene Sarazen. <laughs> you know, then that you know those gentlemen passed away, and then it became Jack Nicholas and Arnold Palmer and Gary Player. Uh, obviously, you know, Arnie has passed away, and now it's Jack and Gary. That's just a, those are special moments to me. Uh, you know, and uh, you know the one thing about the Masters, and, and I think it was. It, to me, it was the genesis of this book, and Jeremy, because you know that none of us can get onto Augusta and play the golf course because it's one of the most exclusive places in the planet. And, and uh, the other thing is the golf tournament itself—it's the hardest ticket in sports to acquire. So most people, most sports fans and golf fans, for them, the Masters is almost kind of this mythical, mystical event that's a television event. 
So I tried to blend things in that I've seen in the 25 Masters I've covered on the golf course that we've all watched and seen on live. You know, Tiger Woods winning in 97 and changing the landscape of the game and Phil Mickelson winning in 04, his first major after 40-something, you know, majors failing. You know, Norman collapsing in 96. You know, right on down the line, right up to last year's, you know, Tiger winning his fifth his 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 fifth green jacket. So I try to blend some of that stuff into some of the stuff that goes on around the tournament that you don't see on TV. What's inside the Butler cap, you know, what goes on under this big Oak tree, you know, uh, outside the clubhouse where movers and shakers schmooze all week. What goes on in the town, John Daly, you know, signing women's boobs and butts, you know, at the, and outside of the Hooters down at his, you know, his RV, you know, so things like that, I just try to bring people into it because they don't really see that watching it on television. I'm speaking with Mark Canizero, his new book is Seven Days in Augusta, Behind the Scenes at the Masters. And as we spoke about last time in an interview that will probably now never see the light of day, but will be archived <laughs> in the uh, National um, Broadcasting Museum, I'm sure uh, we talked about, you know, the fact that it is um, unique among golf majors. You know, and this is obvious. It's the only one where it's in the same place every year. The way that the tennis majors are in the same place every year. And so Wimbledon has that aura and Roland Garros has that aura. Um, there are other places that regularly play host to the other majors, the U.S. Open, the PGA, the, the British Open. But, but it's the only one where they're there every year. That makes a big difference too. It makes a massive difference. That was the, one of the first observations Phil Mickelson made when I spoke to him, and he actually wrote the forward to the book, which was pretty cool. And uh, you know, when I was trying to kind of talk to Phil about what makes what sets the Masters apart, it was exactly what you just said. He's you know he talked about the fact that history is made at that very golf course every year for the last you know you know x amount of years, and. You know, you mentioned Wimbledon, for example. I'm, I'm a massive tennis guy myself. You know, you mentioned Wimbledon and Roland Garros and U.S. Open. I used to go to the U.S. Open when it was back in Forest Hills days. Um, West Side. The difference is, with Augusta, you've got historic moments that have taken place in different years on different golf holes on that golf course that people remember, whether it's that incredible, you know, chip-in that Tiger made, you know, on 16, you know, with, with the Vern Lundquist call. Um, you know, you, you, you name it, you know, the, the putt that, that Nicholas made in 86, you know, to seize the moment uh, on 16. Um, so there's historic moments that have happened all around those grounds on different parts of it that have become lore, you know, of, you know that, of, for that tournament. And uh, every year there's something new, you know, a new piece of history that's made. And, uh, you know, that to me is what sets it apart, and that was the first observation that Phil made as to what sets it apart. Because it's just it's it's at the same place every year, and history is made at that place every single year. And we all refer back to it, you know, when something takes place on a whole. We, are, we you know we say, oh, well, you know, that's where so and so did such and such. You know, years from now, we'll talk about twelve at Augusta at Amen Corner, which is where Tiger seized the moment last year. You know, when when Molinari put the ball in the water, you know, so did so did Tony Finau and uh, and Kepka as well. And those guys all, you know, ruined their chances of winning the green jacket. And Tiger seized that moment and charged ahead and ended up winning his fifth. You know, and for years we'll be talking about that. So there's always something. You know, Fred Couples' ball in '92 sitting up on the bank there at you know at, at Rays Creek. You know, getting an amazing lucky break. So there's so many things there 
that we refer back to. And that's what sets it apart. Speaking with Mark Canizero. And Mark, before I let you go, it's always fun talking with you. Uh, who's your favorite? We know the great, you've mentioned many of the great ones, the couples and the Faldos and the Tigers and, and, and Jack and so on. Who's your favorite obscure winner of the Masters? I would say probably my favorite obscure winner, and this is coming from the ones that I've covered, okay? Um, when, Char- when Charles Schwartzel won... Um, the South African. The South African. Um, it, that tournament, people don't really remember what he did. That guy, I, he, I, he birdied out from, from 15 in to win that golf tournament. and uh, Enough to buy some vowels, which were missing from his name. Yes. <laughs> yes. So... <laughs> And it's not Charles, it's Charles, okay? Right. Um, right. But, I mean, I would say that probably would be, you know, one. But I think if there's if there's one of all time, and I didn't cover it, and, and it's hard to call him obscure because he was he's an Augusta native, but really the greatest obscure winner of all time at Augusta is Larry Mize in 87. You know, and that's essentially, unfor- you know, I don't say unfortunately, but I don't mean it in a bad way, but that's all Larry's really known for is winning the Masters and chipping in to beat Greg Norman in a playoff on the 11th hole. And, I mean, he came from nowhere, you know, and uh, um, I've got a great anecdote in the book, actually, from a friend of Larry's who grew up with Larry, who owns T-Bones, the iconic steakhouse that's right down the street from Augusta National. Um, and it's it's the unofficial 19th hole at Augusta because all the caddies and the fans and everybody jam in there Masters week. And Mark, who's the owner there, he grew up with uh, with 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 Mize, and he, he and he used to him and his buddies would laugh at Mize and say, you know, all that guy wants to do is hit balls at the range. He doesn't want to chase girls and drink beer. He's just out banging balls at the practice range all day. What does he think he's going to do? Win the Masters one day? And that's literally what he said when they were in high school. And you know, heaven, you know, uh, heaven. There was, you know, there he was winning. In a, you know, an Augusta native winning, winning the Masters in 18, 1987. So, I think that's probably, even though I didn't cover it, I wish I did. Um, that's you know, without question, has to be the greatest. And he's one of the classiest, sweetest men on the planet. Mize is so. Uh, I would probably put that above all for that. The answer to your question on that. Well, we hope uh, this conversation for our listeners has. Um has whetted their appetites or, or maybe just satiated them because they're not getting the masters they were hoping for this week. Uh, so many great stories from Mark Canizero in his new book, Seven Days in Augusta, behind the scenes at the masters. Uh, Mark, let's, let's all hope that we are doing this in November and having another conversation about Augusta. Jeremy, thanks for having me, and I absolutely hope we do talk in November, if not before, and, uh, and stay safe. I'm Jeremy Schapp. And you can listen to new editions of The Sporting Life every Saturday and Sunday morning on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app, beginning at 6 a.m. Eastern Time.